0: All bow our heads, and our hearts in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before Thy throne of grace, having been already reminded of the frailty of life and the tragedies that could strike us at any time. We're thankful that we can come to Thee, the the anchor of our souls, the rock of our salvation. And we pray that You would speak to us this morning. That Your word will find place in our hearts. That not only will it comfort and strengthen us, but convict where needed. That your will will be done and your word will not return to your void. O oh Lord, give um, unction unto your messengers this day. As the word will go forth, there would be vessels of the gospel. And that you would be the teacher through your Holy Spirit. We ask these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been uh, inspired to read from uh, from the book of Isaiah, given the season and the recent Messiah program that we've had. I'd like to begin reading from Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 49. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said that I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard thee, and in a day of salvation I have helped thee, and I will preserve thee. And will give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause the inher- in, and to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall heat nor sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, they shall come from afar, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. I've read up to and including verse 16. May the Lord bless the reading of His word. Mentioned in sermons in the past, Isaiah seemed to be the evangelist of the Old Testament. And if we have the concept, or if we have the misconception that the Old Testament is strictly law and judgment, Isaiah will prove us wrong here and throughout his book, as well as the other authors of the Old Testament. There are 66 books in the Bible as it has been compiled. 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. And the Old Testament is not just a compilation of random accounts and random thoughts. You will see, as we sort of take a survey through Isaiah, you will see how contiguous it is, how continuous it is, how coherent it is, and how on earth can all these prophecies, which occurred sometimes 700 years before the birth of Christ, How could they be accused of by others as being just fables, as being man made stories? You then have to knock down the other 38 books in the Bible and say that they were spaced by a period of thousands of years, if you will. And yet, they all point to the same thing. If you take a little journey through the book of Isaiah, you will see that it's divided really into two two major themes. One is how God is dealing with the nations. One, how God is is um, judging sin in Israel and Judah. And then, one in the in the first thirty nine chapters, how he although he has poured out his judgment on on Israel and Judah by the invasion of Assyria and Babylon and also the other remnant nations around about, they will also receive their judgment. It's a repeating theme that God utters his judgment upon sin and rebellion but then gives them hope if they repent that they will come back and God provides them hope. And the thread through Isaiah is this, and then from the 40th chapter on, he specifically hones in, although he mentions in the earlier chapters, on the one that is going to be the redeemer through whom he will make this hope realistic, real. If you go to, we, we, we had a service here on Isaiah 6 many times, how This very prophet who was just confronted with the rebellion of Israel, how God spoke to him in the temple. And and he found himself to be so unclean and so unworthy. And God says, I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to purge your mouth. He put a hot coal upon his lips, sent by a seraphim, and and, uh, purged him. And then he said, go, go and tell them what you need to tell them. How are, we going to, how are we going to rectify the situation? How are we going to bring restoration? And then King Ahaz, who was the last in the line of the several kings mentioned in, in, in chapter 1, he was, he was in, in, in consternation because there was going to be a rebellion from Ephraim and the northern kingdom colluding with, with uh, uh, the northern kingdom of Syria and going to attack them. And he was fretting, and the Lord told him to go to Ahaz and tell him what's going to happen. And then God said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord. Ask it. I'll show you that I'm going to give you victory. What is that sign? He said, I dare not ask the Lord Lord for a sign. I I don't want to tempt the Lord. And then God said, you know what? If you're not going to ask, I'm going to give you the sign. He says... The Lord therefore himself said, I will give you a sign. behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. In the next chapter, the prophetess bore a son. And I'm not even going to to pronounce the name, but long name. And he bore a son. And he says, for as much as this people refuses the water of Shiloh." That goes softly and rejoice in resin and Rephaim's son. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. That word Shiloh, I believe, is, is, is equivalent to the New Testament Siloam. And God offered them the waters of Shiloh in the Old Testament, and Jesus offered him the blind man the waters of Siloam when he washed his eyes, when he cleansed his eyes. When he gave him sight back, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. A prophecy of one, because he said it means that he that was sent, that was the meaning of the word Siloam. Interpretation was sent. And you go through chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 49 talks about this servant being sent to the Gentiles. Chapter 9 again talks about Those that came from the land of Zebulun, Naphtali, and afterwards, more grievously afflicted by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath this light shined. And then the very beautiful words of Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, some may say, well, the prophecy to Ahaz was only speaking about the immediate prophecy. And the Bible often speaks in, in, in double prophecies. But this that we have just read cannot be. The immediate prophecy of the the child that was born to the prophetess in chapter 7. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Some say the Trinity is only spoken of in the New Testament. This man that was born on the earth was the mighty God. And it would be blasphemous and sacrilegious to attribute the name of God to anyone else but he that was deity. The everlasting Father. You know, there are many chapters, perhaps, that I know and I've read of, chapters that the Jewish people will not read And they were given commandment in the 1700s by one of their main rabbis not to read from Isaiah chapter 53. Skip that chapter. Why? Because it caused too much tumult and conflict in their synagogues because of differences of interpretation of what that chapter means. So they stopped reading it. There are other chapters that they're dreadful to read. Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my footstool until I make thine enemies sit, sit thou at my until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Isaiah chapter um, 53 Isaiah chapter 52 Isaiah chapter 49 Psalm 22 They're just too close to each other. They are they, too close to home. They, 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 it causes too much conflict in their hearts, to read this through and not read it as was preached by Christ and by the apostles following. So we see here in chapter 9, the first real, um, the first solid scripture that speaks about this coming child would be God, the everlasting father. And then you go through chapter uh, 11, it talks about the branch uh, that shall grow out of his roots of Jesse, the son of David. We know that the Jewish people believe that there will be coming a king from the lineage of David. And Jesse was the father of David. And he says, And he shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, of the fear of the Lord. And you keep going. And By the time you get to chapter 39, Hezekiah had risen his fame and glory and then he had fallen in chapter 39 because he had revealed his plan to the Babylonians. He'd revealed the the treasures that he had and everything that the spies from Babylon came to see and he gave it to them. And God punished him for that. Israel was in conflict, in turmoil, in rebellion, stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate. But throughout these chapters, even though God promised judgment, He also promised hope. Then comes the beautiful, comforting words of Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, your war is finished. There'll be no more war, no more conflict. Because I've provided you a way that you can have power of your stubbornness and sin and rebellion. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway. For your God, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What he said is going to come to pass. Let's go to chapter 49 now. And it goes on. And now he comes and as, as the Isaiah unfolds, so do you get more and more detail as to who this Messiah is going to be. Listen, O oh isles. Listen, you coastlands. Listen, you people who are heathen. That was the name given to the people that were not Jewish. They were from the isles, from the coastlands, around, uh, outside of Israel. The Lord had called me from the bowels of my mother. Is he speaking about Isaiah. Let's read further. From the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, and he, had, and he hid me and made me as a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. It's no longer this wooden, wooden arrow. It's a polished metal shaft that he has hid in his quiver. It's been hid there. For a long time, it's been hid until God will use it, take it out of his quiver and use it for his purposes. And he said unto me, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Is he speaking of the nation? Or is he speaking of a national representative here? You'll see later on how he's speaking. because He's speaking about The womb, the mother's womb. Then said I, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. He's not speaking about a rebellious nation here. He's speaking of someone that has availed himself, that has labored for the Lord, and he's being. In, in what may seem relatively unef, ineffective to the nation of Israel. Remember, he's speaking of the nation of Israel. He's speaking about the judgments of Israel. Oh, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. You know, in John ten, John 1, 10 and 11, he says, He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Such sad words. Such sad words. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The one that came from his mother's womb. Go to verse 15 of 49. Can a woman forget her suckling child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. You mothers out there, you know what it's like to bear a child. You know the pain you go through, you know the suffering you go through, you know the sacrifice you make, the sacrifice of your body, your your blood, of your flesh, the pain. How can you forget that child? How can you not have compassion on that child? It cost a lot to bring the child into the world. That's what God is saying about his son. He came from his mother's womb. There were birth pangs and suffering. There was a cost to bringing the son into the world to be the savior of the world. There was a cost associated with it. salvation. It's free, but it's not cheap. Salvation is free, But it cost God everything. Read about it in Psalm 22. This is what it cost God, to see his son hanging on the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm." And no, not a man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Verse seven of Isaiah forty-nine. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One. To him whom men despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see thee and rise; princes also shall worship. Because the Lord that is faithful and the holy one of Israel, of Israel, and he shall choose thee. He said he's despised of men. He calls himself a worm. David, in his prophecy, in his some some maybe he had a vision or something that he 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 projected to the future, to the to Christ being on the cross. And he said the same words that David said in his in his vision or in his, in his meditation: I am a worm. I looked that word up. Why would Jesus think Himself to be a worm? Look it up in your Strong's Concordance. The word is tola. And that word is probably used 43 out of 46 times, if I count it correctly. It's not worm, it's scarlet. He's red. He's a crushed worm. This crimson creature, that's what it was. These maggots that were red in colour. He said, I am that. Why? Was he projecting in some way that he would be covered in blood? As the man from Bosra that came in Isaiah 63. Who is he that comes from Bosra whose garments are, are scarlet? Or the one in Revelation, was it nineteen? Coming on the white horse and his 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 clothing was dipped in blood. My strength is dried up. Psalm twenty two, like a pot shirt, like a piece of pottery. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of the death of death. For dogs have compassed me; the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. What other person in history can you think of that was prominent, that was recorded? that has this description, every single verse that applies to him. No wonder he said, I have spent my strength for naught and in vain surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Even though he was rejected by men, he knew that god said to him on his baptismal day this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased my dear friend outside of christ if you have any doubts as to the validity the truth to the gospel it's in the old testament before it even came to the new testament some people say that oh that was isaiah he wrote this after the fact uh, this was written up, uh, this was not given, this was not uh, attributed to Isaiah. It could have been a fraud. He must have, somebody must have written it after the events. That's why they say of the book of Daniel. After the events of the crucifixion and resurrection. Well, you know what? This book of Isaiah was translated into Greek, into the Septuagint, three centuries before Christ appeared on this earth. Almost three centuries before Christ came, it was written in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. This was not written after Christ, it was written before Christ. And they found scrolls of this in the Qumran, almost entire scrolls of the book of Isaiah. Verse 6 of 49. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. So this person, whoever this person is, his mission was to restore the nation of Israel, the tribes of Jacob. And then, and to preserve Israel. But he said, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. Who is that man? That may be a rhetorical question to us, but it's not to the Jews. They still believe, most still believe, that this is speaking of a nation, of the nation Israel. They're going to be the light to the world. This is speaking of an individual who will merge the Jews and the Gentiles. As promised to Abraham that he'll become a father of many nations, this prophecy is being threaded. You can read through Isaiah 42 and you can read through um, uh, into the New Testament where these, these uh, scriptures are very, very finely woven together by the Apostle Paul. I'm amazed at how many scriptures that I've read through, these few chapters that I've read through that are quoted in the book of Revelation, in in Corinthians, in Galatians. It says, not only will I bring the, the Israelites back, I will bring the Gentiles. It's a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. But, I will bring in the Gentiles. And that's something that the Jewish people at that time could not fathom, could not accept. Even to those that were converted, the Jewish people that that were converted to Christ had a hard time accepting the Gentiles into the church. And they had this constant battle going on between Jew and Gentile. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Galatians. Constantly struggling with this idea because they thought they were the chosen. But had not they read the Old Testament... That's just, just permeated with scriptures of Jew and Gentile coming together. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Peter says that kings and priests and angels desire to look into this mystery of the gospel. They never did. Some of these didn't see it because the time had not yet come. Some could foresee it, could see it as in in a a blur, as, as in shadows. But the reality they didn't see. But they believed that it would happen. Then it says, thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard thee. In a day of salvation have I helped thee and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause, to inherit the desolate heritages. Paul the Apostle, in pleading with the nation, with with the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 6, quoted this verse, exhorting them to believe the words of Christ to believe and accept the gospel to live holy lives he said in this acceptable time it's a time when it was, it was acceptable to God it says in the fullness of time Christ came into this world born of a woman of the seed of the woman in the fullness of time when there, everything was right in God's eyes And we're not going to go into that now because of a lack of time, but we can see how everything, every little verse in the Old Testament had meaning and was brought to full revelation in the New. Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget thee, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hand, thy walls are continually before me. In closing, let's just look at the, the verse in Isaiah chapters or the verses in Isaiah chapter 53. It leads up from forty nine, and, and you can see it hones in to very specific events that will happen. He, he tells of in chapter 50 of the rebellion and iniquities of, of Israel, how they were disobedient. But then he talks about the, how he had this obedient servant, Christ, in, in, in chapter 50, verse 5. The Lord hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned my back away. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, Specific events that happened to Christ when he gave his back to be beaten by the Roman soldiers and they were mocking him and spitting upon him. Psalm 22 even talks about them tearing his cloth, his his garment, his cloak or, or not tearing his cloak. He talks about I put my words in thy mouth and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand verse uh, chapter 52 says behold my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high as many as were astounded at thee his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men so shall he sprinkle many nations the kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told to them they shall see And that which they have not heard shall they consider. This is the backdrop to Isaiah 53. What other man? Why would they single out one particular man in history and talk about kings and how he was uh, brutally beaten and, and dishonored and marred that you couldn't recognize his face? Why would they pick out one man? Who was that man if it wasn't Jesus. Isaiah 53, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For the, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He shall have no form nor comeliness, then we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire of him. This is his rejection. He was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And it goes on to the very detail He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. He brought as as a sheep to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison, from the judgment, from the Pilate's judgment seat. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. This is not a nation that was stricken, this was a person that was stricken, smitten, and killed for the transgressions of the nation. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Two were next to him on the cross, thieves. One continued to be obstinate and the other one repented on the cross next to him. But he was buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord. God received satisfaction in seeing his death In seeing his son die on the cross. It was difficult. It is implied that he did not even look upon his son at that time. Because of sin that he was carrying upon his shoulders. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. It cost God the life of his son. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. My dear friend outside of Christ, can you read through just this book, let alone the other books of the Bible, and come to any other conclusion? If you do, I don't think you're being honest with yourself. If you believe that was him, Why do you linger anymore? Paul says, was it to Felix or to Agrippa? This was not done in a corner. It's fully open, transparent, written through the pages of the whole Bible. Israel, Israel rejected the Messiah. Will you reject him also? To him be the glory evermore. Amen.